Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Bulldog fans everywhere. We're back. We're on the Maroon Mike, and as always, I'm your co-host, Colton Watson. And I'm Andrew Miller. Thank you so much for listening and for being here with us today. Uh, big matchup coming up this weekend against Texas Tech for Mississippi State's men's basketball team. We'll get onto that at the end of the show, kind of previewing what uh, what we expect between those two teams. Texas Tech is very good, though. Very good. You're going to have to go on the road. What time's that game? Five o'clock. Five o'clock. So it's a n- nice spotlight, kind of a primetime game, SEC Big 12 Challenge. Uh, they try not to put those games on at the same time, do they? They, they play five. There's only 10 games. I guess some of them uh, have to be on the same. Let me pull up the schedule. We're playing five o'clock on ESPN2. Oh, uh, if we're on ESPN2. I can pull up the whole SEC okay. schedule. If we're on ESPN2, there will be another game going on then. Dang. Yeah, for sure. Because we it was kind of nice to be under the spotlight on a – on last Tuesday with Kentucky. Oh, literally the exact same time. You know the game that's at 5 o'clock on ESPN? Kentucky, Kansas? Yes. Yeah, so never mind. So much about for that spotlight <laughs> comment. But it is what it is. Going to preview that. Uh, we're going to talk about the game against Kentucky on Tuesday where Mississippi State came up just short. Uh, depending on how you look at it, you could really be kicking yourself or you can be happy that we were even in the position. But we'll talk about that. We'll also discuss the women's game. Uh, that happened this week, of course, and a few other things. So, moving on to that Kentucky game, you know, it played out differently than I expected it to uh, and differently than in years past. You know, I think in years past, when you just do get nipped by Kentucky and you really felt like you had a chance to do something big, it's usually because you were it was tight the whole way or you blew a big lead. In this case, it was Kentucky that blew the big lead. You played really poorly in the first half, but probably the best half of basketball outside of maybe the second half of Ole Miss at home last week, probably the best half of basketball you played all year, uh, the second half in Rupp Arena up in Lexington. You force it to overtime and then, of course, completely collapse. You only score one bucket in overtime. I think Kentucky really tried to take away Iverson Molinar in overtime, who was fantastic. He was just completely dominant, got got whatever he wanted, was so almost effortlessly and just so smooth with it, too. I really, really like his game. But just real quick, what were your emotions throughout this whole game? I mean, you're watching us get creamed, and you're like, okay, well, that's that. You get drug right back in with the comeback, only to fall a little bit short. Well, you know, you, you said it was a little different than games in the past, and I think historically, sure. but. I do got to disagree a little bit just because in the Ben Halland era specifically, and I tweeted about this around halftime, a lot of these games with Kentucky have played out the exact same way, whether home, away, whatever. It feels like every time we play them, the first half, they're just dominating us. We can't get a shot to fall. Like that was not anything new. Like we, we get decent looks and just nothing, can't make anything. And then in the second half, we slowly start to chip away. And before you know it, there's a few minutes left in the game, and all of a sudden we've cut it down to like a you know five-point game, a six-point game, and have made it close. And then it's like, oh, my God, are they going to do it? And it's just they never fully get it done. And I, I tweeted out to the effect because it, it was a rough sports day for me on that Tuesday. Um, I've mentioned I'm a Saints fan before, and losing Sean Payton kind of killed me. Um, and I said, you know, if Mississippi State basketball has any regard for my feelings – they won't do what I just laid out. They won't make it close. They'll just get killed. 
We'll just lose the game. And then because I was like, I know we're not going to win. I know a win is not possible here. They'll just go out and get killed, and I won't have and, to ever and, be a And what he means, i got to interrupt you for a, a minute. He doesn't mean we're incapable of beating Kentucky. He just well, means that whatever curse there is. I mean, if we took it overtime, we're, we're capable of beating them. Sure, sure. It is whatever curse there is on this on this program would not let us beat them though. That's what it's it's voodoo. It's not science. Yeah, and uh, I was like, you know, please just don't. I I specifically said don't make it do make it do the thing where you make it a five point game and then they just pull away at the end. And technically, they they we did a better job because we managed to tie it up and forced overtime, but it felt like the pulling away was just delayed for that extra five-minute period because then Kentucky managed to do it. And, look, obviously you're proud of the effort. You're proud that they didn't quit the way they did and that they fought back. Um, but at the same time, you know, there was another opportunity. There was a chance to flip things around. And, look, states – we're in a weird spot where state both has plenty of chances left, but also they're running out of time, if that makes any sense, where – it realistically, like, if you just look at the schedule, they have plenty of opportunities. Realistically, how many of those games are you confident they're going to get? And that's where you look at, like, opportunities like the Florida game, the Colorado State game. And now even this game against Kentucky, where you're like, dang it, I wish we could have found a way to get pull that one out. And instead, it's kind of the same result we've seen many times before. And it's you – know, I, I really have felt like this season is – pretty similar to a lot of Ben Hallen seasons in the past. And hopefully this team does manage to get to the tournament. They still have, you know, some time to, to work on that and get themselves in position. Um, I, and I don't think their chances are maybe as bleak as some have suggested. Like they are, it's as extreme as they've got to go on some ridiculous winning streak, but you definitely feel like you let one slip away here. And it's tough. It's tough for that game to play out the same way that we've seen so many times before. Right. Um, and most I was thinking about last year, you know, you blew the lead last year. And then the 2000 – I don't count last year because Kentucky was bad. That's the difference. <laughs> like, they sucked last year. The, they still beat us. We beat them. We got them. We got them right there at the end. Right. In the SEC tournament. By one. We almost, we almost blew that one, too. That was – we had a good lead there, and you almost blew that one. So, uh, and that was when I thought, okay, here's the same movie again. You know, you're going to blow a lead to them twice in one year. That would have been fantastic. In any case, um, lots of lots to think positively, I guess, about this game. There's no other than free throws, which on the road at Rupp Arena, crowd was getting into it. That's why you as a fan base have to be passionate and loud when we're playing at home because – you you don't think that these 18, 19-year-old 19 kids, you think they're professionals and that they're going to make all the free throws regardless of who's waving behind them. Pressure is a real thing, especially for college athletes. You saw that when we uh, went 14 for 23. Harrison Brooks had a tough day at the line. Other than that, he was solid, though. Really liked uh, the minutes you got from Javion Davis, especially liked what you got from Shaquille Moore. We talked about how uh, Iverson Molinar was just – in terms of history – Mississippi State players to ever do this. There's only been eight in all of history since Bailey Howell that have scored 30 at Rupp. Only four SEC players have done it in the last 10 years, have scored 30 against Kentucky at Rupp Arena. You just can't put a number or a, a value on how impressive he was. I do want to talk a little about a little bit negative, though. DJ Jeffries, 
I guess streaky is the best way I can say it. He's not performing the level that we expected him to. We expected him to be able to knock down some open threes, and more or less he's done that. Uh, I've not thought his role was really as a slasher, uh, a rebound, a guy, a putback guy, you know, a guy who can crash the boards and come get a good rebound for you as a bigger, uh, small forward. You know, he's a power forward at Memphis, but he's got a little bit better ball skills than most power forwards. So he, he wanted to come here to, so he could play the three. But I don't think he's a guy that you need to put the ball in his hands and let him create his own shot. He's, and he's trying to do that, I feel like, a little bit too much. He's a little bit out of control. You saw at the Ole Miss game, even though he had a nice game, he would he would take off running and not really know where he was going. He's not the smooth, controlled athlete that Molinar or Shaquille Moore are. Uh, and quite honestly, with Cam Matthews playing defensively as well as he ever has and as well as really as any player at the at the small forward slash combo, you know, kind of combo guard position has for Mississippi State in recent memory, I can't remember a guard that defended as well as Cam Matthews. Uh, and I guess he's probably – he's technically a small forward more than a guard, but still. Is it time to kind of sacrifice DJ, uh, DJ Jeffries' offense for Cam Matthews' defense? Like, should we consider bringing him off the bench or, like, what's going on here? I don't know if you can right now with Tolu out. Um, so that, that leads me to – like, who's – Who's who do you think is more or who are you more confident in is going to get you a big rebound, Jeffries or, or Cam Matthews? Oh, it's absolutely Cam Matthews. Now, and I mean, you talk about sacrificing offense. I mean, let's face it, the offensive production right now isn't all that different. Um no, I, I I would be much more for the idea of starting Matthews, but just with Tolu out, I mean, look, he he's he's played better. We've brought him up some, but like I don't trust, you know, JB and Davis to be out there right now. Uh, Rocket Watch, you're starting to bring him along if you wanted to go so with more of a smaller lineup. So, if Javion Davis isn't starting, you would start Matthews at the four and Brooks at the five, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah, like, I just – So, have them both out there. Well, well, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, I don't know who you would replace Jeffries with right now. Now, if you're saying Tolu is healthy, then I, I'm much more uh, open to that idea. But the thing is, I don't know how many other options you have for a starting five. Um, because right now you are starting Cam Matthews. Right. It's just, well, I, do you want I mean, to start? I, 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 I know you mean in general. My question was, my, my, I should have phrased it differently. I think Jeffries could benefit from coming off the bench, look, seeing what his role needs to be, seeing, you know, do I need, are we, are we, do we need rebounding help? Do we need scoring help? Uh, do I need to guard somebody better than who's out there right now? Like, what's my role versus when he's kind of starting and he's trying to get his own shot? I just don't think it's working. But yeah, I know right now, you're not starting Javian Davis. So without Tolu, you can't you can't really pull DJ Jeffries out because you've either got to start Davis or Derek Fountain or something. And I don't want to do that either. Right. And I totally get yours. I agree in general. It's just right now, I just don't think you have another choice. Um yeah, this game, I mean, you mentioned Garrison Brooks struggling from the free throw line. And look, I get four of ten shooting isn't terrible, but when you're a guy in his position, I know he shoot, you know, he took some attempts from three. He does have the mid-range, but he's a guy you I think you want getting to the basket. And you really – you were struggling to get those shots. It wasn't just Garrison. You struggled to get those shots to fall in the first half. It was a rough, rough first half for State. Shooting under 30%, just 8 of 27. And then almost um, 60 in, that, in the second half. Yeah, right. uh, big, big improvement in the second half. And I don't know. You had a lot of easy opportunities there that you didn't get. This this really was the Iverson Molinar show 
outside of him, you really didn't. I mean, Shaquille Moore uh, knocking down, you know, three triples. That, that was nice. You expect that out of him. Um, but this very much was Iverson Molinar willing state to get into the game, which it kind of goes alongside with Oscar Shebley for Kentucky, really willing them in the game. 21 points for him, 22 rebounds. I I remember looking at the preview when we were getting ready for Kentucky, seeing that he was averaging over 16 boards a game. I don't know why I just completely forgot to mention that because that's a ridiculous number. Um, that was he's an oversight on my part. I just he's he's every bit the star that Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, uh, maybe not Anthony Davis, but every bit the star that Carl Anthony Towns and those types of guys have been at a uh, at Kentucky. Just doing it a little bit different, more of a dirty work type player. Uh, not not going to be the the center that every once in a while puts the ball on the floor and goes coast to coast and just wows you that way. He's not going to be the fastest guy. But, my goodness, what a powerful athlete. And, and he very much was was the leading – with the big difference for Kentucky. I mean, second chance, second chance points for the Cats, 13 compared to just three for Mississippi State. Um, the State got out-rebounded uh, by 11. I mean, he a good rebounding was, team was the we're, – We're good at rebounding, and we still got out-rebounded that bad. Yeah, because it was because of him, and I don't want to say it was all him because you know Kellen Grady, eighteen, uh, Severe Wheeler, fifteen, twelve from Keon Brooks Jr. Uh, thank God Dante Allen only managed to score five. Which did you hear? Those were his first points since like November 29th. Yep. Yep. I don't know what the deal is, but for whatever reason, he it's just hates us and wants. For those of you that um, don't know, he in the in the overtime game, another overtime game where we completely blew a lead against Kentucky last year. That guy went off for a 40-piece off the bench. Off he didn't have 40. Bench. Huh? He didn't have 40. He uh, It was like 23. I thought it was, thought it was like no, no, no. 41. Who am I thinking of then? That sounded like one of the dudes from Ole Miss, um, like a few a couple years ago. But, no, he was the guy who the only game he played for Kentucky all last year was when they played us in Starkville, where with nine minutes to go, State had a nine-point lead. And Coach Cal gets himself ejected to fire up his team. And from that point forward, Dante Allen just took over the game and would not miss from three. It looked like for a second he was not going to have the same impact, but he was going to do it to us again. But uh, he was only one of five shooting from three, five points overall for him. So thank God that dude didn't do to us what he nor- what he did to us last year. But still, apparently the kid hadn't scored since November. For whatever reason, when guys see us, when that guy okay. sees us, he wants to go and you're right. He only what? had 23 points. I can't believe I yeah. messed that up so bad. I'm not, my memory is gone. It's going, man. It's just it's it's. I'm getting. It, it's fine. He he didn't do it to us for a second time. But again, I mean, really, Oscar Shebley was the leading difference. And I know Kentucky was without Ty Ty Washington, but obviously we were without Tolu. And I'm gonna make a bold uh, little assertion here that us missing one of our starters hurts us a lot more than it hurts Kentucky. And what I'll, um, what I'll tell you right now is you just think about his presence in the game. It's an overtime game. So every single point scored before overtime matters. He had 20 – she had 22 rebounds. What if Tolu holds him to 20 rebounds instead of 22? Is that, is that worth one more point and you win the game? What if he holds him to 19 points instead of 21? You win the game then. That really – as much as I don't – I don't care – who we had out there, unless we had Jarvis Bernardo back, we weren't going to stop that guy from getting his. Okay. It was going to, he was going to have a 15 15 type game regardless. 
But if you just one play away from winning that game really makes you wonder how it would have gone with uh without with Tolu Smith if he had been there. For sure. And like it wasn't a great shooting night for Kentucky. They were only six of twenty-three from deep. Uh shot 47% overall as a team, but most of that came from the first half. And a lot of that goes back to Oscar Sheboy getting easy bucket, easy looks at the basket where State just couldn't defend him. The game went through him and it certainly feel like if you had Tolu, you have a better chance there. But this is where we talk about – I mean, I, we said Kentucky's one of those teams, they give you an inch, you better take it. And 14 of 23 from the free throw stripe ain't going to cut it. Um, shooting as poorly as you did in the first half. And, look, I understand a lot of states' looks were contested, but I don't – for some reason when we play Kentucky, it's like it doesn't matter if how much we get to the basket. It's like only one in three of those shots ever fall for us. And, and that's, that's basically a, how – In the first half, that's definitely what it felt like. Yeah, and it's – you got to convert those opportunities, and that is where having Tolu back would have helped you some. But, look, you got to be proud of the effort. Certainly you wish one day that we don't have to have a bit of a moral victory and that we can be celebrating one of these wins. Um, but if nothing else, you have seen they're capable of playing with anyone. Um, and they're, they're, you see a performance like this, and you're like, okay, maybe they can go to Lubbock. Maybe they can go to uh, – LSU, just some of these tough arenas to play in. Um, but they got to find ways to get those wins eventually because, again, those opportunities are starting. It, I'm going to say it again. There are plenty of opportunities, but how many realistically do you think they can get? And the realistic ones are starting to run out a little bit. Right. So you, you gotta, you're going to have to snag an unrealistic one, it feels like. You're going to have to win a game that you have no business winning to feel safer about your chances. We've talked sure. about it before, but Iverson Molinar starting to shoot up the draft boards. You know, he's drawing the Russell Westbrook comparisons, and we don't have to go on and on about that. But I do think he has a, you know, a value that the pro level could really utilize. He's not the biggest guard, and he's actually a bit – I'm going to look him up and check this, see what he's listed at. And you never know uh, – you never know if the listed height is the actual height. So I'm going to just – 6'3", 190. Six, okay. I, I thought they would have had him at 6'4". So if he's 6'3", and a guard, he's probably closer to 6'2". Let me put it this way. I know I'm taller than him because I've, 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 I've stood next to him before. But for a smaller guy, he really can play above the rim when he needs to, but most of all is just a smooth, controlled athlete. He doesn't take any missteps. He doesn't play out of control. He gets exactly to the point on the court where he needs to get. He puts the ball exactly where it needs to go. Uh, contested layups, fadeaway uh, jumpers close to the rim. The floater game is really strong. Really would like to see uh, how that translates on a pro level. I think it would be really interesting. He, yeah, no, he's a fantastic player. It's great to start to see him getting some respect. I think he was a great three-point shooter a year ago. It has not translated this year, but obviously that's one of those things in today's NBA – specifically for a guy like him who is a bit smaller, you got to be able to shoot the three. And, I mean, literally the only negative you took away from his game this past night was, oh, a three from deep. Um, so that that's something for him to work on if he wants to continue to improve his draft stock. But, you know, it you see the players that have been coming through Starkville over these past few years, and they've had some legitimate NBA talents. And um, you've seen uh, – Robert Woodard, you know, spending his time in the league. Reggie Perry sort of bouncing back and forth. Uh, um, Quindary Weatherspoon getting his opportunities. I mean, that's a guy I don't know if anybody ever would have anticipated um, being a pro. And, he, you know, you see what he's been able to do. So, 
it'd be great to add Iverson to that list of players um, and sort of start getting some Bulldogs back in the NBA like you used to have when you look at, you know, the 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah, really impressive to see what, what we have out of, out of Molinar. He's tied for second in the SEC in scoring uh, with assists. I think he's up there somewhere. He's seventh in the league in assists. Uh, free throw shooting, we know that he's at the top of the league, or he has been most of the year. Very, very impressive. Kind of a, you know, if Sheway doesn't run off with it, kind of a SEC player of the year type uh, type of season. By the way, just for the record, Sheway is out-rebounding the second leading rebound in the league by six boards. He's a nice rebounding game ahead of the second best guy, <laughs> if that'll tell you anything. You'll take six boards from from most players on on any given night. <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty outstanding. Uh, we are going to talk about the women's game. Mississippi State's really kind of controlled the whole way against Missouri. Sans Rakia Jackson, she's entered the transfer portal or, earlier this week, but Mississippi State didn't miss a beat. They're now three and zero in SEC games without Jackson, and have not won a game in which Rakia did play. So it's actually. I don't want to throw out all the addition by subtraction stuff and talk about how, you know, good riddance. I'm not going to say those things because I don't think you replace a 20-point-per-game score and get better as a team. But there is something to say about the resiliency of these women. They're, they're, still, they're actually on the bubble, too. Both the men and the women are on the tournament bubble. Just think about how amazing a season it could be if they both found a way in. But Mississippi State – I think Doug Novak is a lot better at coaching without Rakia Jackson because his. if you watch – I actually did do a film study from, uh, from his previous men's teams. He likes to run a lot of motion. He likes to get everybody involved. He doesn't like to have a 25-point-per-game score and everybody else chip in five or six points. He likes to spread it around to where you have to defend all five spots. And I think when you don't – because if you have a talent like Rakia Jackson, you know, you've got to force feed her the ball. She's just too good not to. But that's not really how he likes to coach. I think it actually opens up his game plan more to not have her there. I'm not saying we're getting better, but I think it's just a more natural role for him and for all the other players as well. Uh, Jessica Carter, not expected to play this year, I don't think. Maybe in the postseason she might make a, a, an attempt, but she was back on the bench. She's with the team. She's practicing uh, or, work, or doing individual workouts, rather, excuse me. And – Doug Novak alluded that she probably is uh, looking to suit up next year. So that would be big. It really would be phenomenal, though, if we could find a way to get her back this year because size down low, especially when you're defending some of the all-star centers in this uh, league and the SEC, size down low would be really, really helpful right now to this bunch. But they were impressive last night. Uh, they've got some very, very winnable games. The bulk, the, the, the scariest part of their schedule – uh, is over with. They do have to play Ole Miss again, but at home, they haven't played Tennessee yet. That's a tough one, and they have to play LSU. But they're past the, uh, their South Carolina game. They've got some pretty raggedy teams that they'll get to face, and like Texas A&M and Auburn. So really looking forward to if, seeing if the women could piece something together. They might have to make a bit of a run in the SEC tournament uh, to get firmly into the field, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that in his only year as interim head coach, Doug Novak, Leaves them back to the tournament. And the fall the fall from grace uh, post Vic Schaefer has been mighty. It has been just a night and day difference. Bad news after bad news after bad news for this team uh, since the tournament was canceled in 2020. But 
look, I don't want to act like this one game against Missouri changes all that, okay? And that's not what I'm saying. But to see them beat a good Missouri team, they're, they're South Carolina's only loss, number one team in the country, a good Missouri team uh, came into Humphrey Coliseum last night and looked just listless compared to how well we were defending and how well we were shooting. So very uh, encouraging stuff from there. Uh, now it's time, I think, to preview Texas Tech. What have you got for me about the Red Raiders? You know, it's kind of a surprising year for Texas Tech. They lose Chris Beer, who had been obviously such a big fixture uh, in turning that program into what they had be- what they had become, getting their first Final Four in team history, um, and reaching the national title game for the first time in team history. And look, Texas Tech is a program that's had success over the years, but Chris Beard obviously was a big part of that. He goes and takes the Texas job. And you know, Texas Tech simply just promotes from within, sort of keeps things going. They had a lot of transfers both in and out of the program. Uh, Matt McClung was obviously a big part of that, uh, who that team was, and you know, he left. But they've really been impressive this year, 15-5. and five. They are 5-3 and three within the Big 12. Um, some big wins on the schedule. I mean, they took a tough loss to Providence, who's one of the better teams, but went on the road to Knoxville against 13th-ranked Tennessee. And – played what was described as one of the most disgusting games ever played, a 57-52 overtime game where just no one could buy a bucket. But they get the win there, lose to Gonzaga, um, but and took a tough loss at Iowa State. But this is where they really started to pick it up. And, by the way, Iowa State's really good. They take down number six Kansas. They go on the road and beat top-ranked Baylor. Uh, they beat a good Oklahoma State or a solid Oklahoma State team, take a tough loss to Kansas State, who had been struggling, but – this was right when K-State started to turn things around, um, get some players back from COVID, get avenge their loss to Iowa State, picking up a win over them, dominate West Virginia, and then roast recently Monday night on the road at number five Kansas, playing at Allen Fieldhouse, make a, a late push to tie the game, force overtime, and ends up going to double overtime, lose 94 to 91. But they're a really good team who has played a ridiculously tough schedule and has picked up some impressive wins along the way, which is why, if you look at them right now, they're currently number 15 in the net. Uh, they, you know, they have four of those quad one wins. What we've been talking about a lot from Mississippi State, they've got those impressive wins on their resume. And uh, this is a team that, if you look at you know bracketology, sort of viewed as like a three or a four seed by most people. So kind of similar to where you have Kentucky viewed as a team in the bracket. It's a big opportunity against a team who's very tough to play against and a tough, very tough place to play. Lubbock and their environment. I think a lot of state fans who, you know, don't watch much college basketball outside of the SEC, um, they're going to see a pretty raucous environment there and certainly going to be longing for the days where the hump was once like that. Um, they're a good defensive team. That's really what they were built around when uh, Chris Beard was their coach. They're only allowing uh, 60.8 points per game. Um, teams are shooting under 40% against them, just about 31% from three. Um, right now, they are uh, forcing over 16 tur- turnovers a game. Now, they turned over a bit themselves, 13 and a half turnovers a game. But again, if you're forcing 16, um, you know, it, you certainly have the benefit there. Um, they out rebound their opponents by a uh, decent margin. This is a really, really good team. Again, they're going to play very good defense. And they got a lot of players who are capable of putting up a nice points. Uh, I believe it's five players in double figures form, and that's led by Bryson Williams, who 
this is a big man who can knock down shots from deep. He's shooting 54% overall, which, you know, you, you expect that from guys who, you know, expect a better shooting percentage from guys who are, you know, going to be getting to the basket a lot. The kid's shooting 47% from deep, and he's taken 49 attempts on the season. So he's only shooting a few per game. But if you look on the roster, there's only a couple players who have made more three-pointers than he has. So this is just a very, very talented player who is a very great shooter. Um, and it's certainly who you're going to have to look out for if you're MSU. And this is where not having Tobu Smith certainly hurts you. you, you you're you going to need guys like Garrison Brooks, Cam Matthews, and J.B. Davis to really step up against him. But, again, it's not just about getting inside. He's a guy who can shoot from beyond the arc as well. They're just a really good team. It's a tough place to play. Big opportunity for State. But I don't know. It, this is going to be tough. Yeah, going to be a big road test is, again, it's not a game that we're expecting to win. But after what we did at Kentucky, if you could put two halves together like you did the second half of your last two games, you could win this game by 10-plus points. I mean, that's how good State has been in the in the second half. They just got to put together two, two halves of basketball, right? Uh, I guess you got to give Coach Hallen credit for making second half adjustments, but really it's it's about shots falling and just not falling asleep on defense. If you're talking about the Ole Miss game uh, from Mississippi State, and I think it's a bad matchup for the Texas Tech game because there's no like I just described with Doug Novak in the women's game how he likes it to be. There's no one player to just key in on, right? There's no Shebway uh, on this team that's just having a 15-15 type season. And that's the guy you circle, right? They're kind of all pitching in a, a good bit from all uh, five starting spots. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that we can go go there and get a win while all eyes are on the Kansas-Kentucky game uh, that we can sneak out of Lubbock with the W. Is there anything we want to throw in on top of that before we close out? No, I mean, I think you really hit it. They're a balanced team. I mentioned the, the kid who's uh, – I already forgot his name real fast. Um, Bryson Williams. You know, he's obviously a really great shooter, but overall this team, they're, they're not a team that, you know, takes a lot of shots from deep or when they do, they're not necessarily that efficient at them. It's just right. You have that one guy. Absolutely rain threes from the sky on us. Right. Yeah, that's, that's how that goes. Um, But they're again, outside of Williams, they got guys who are taking lots of shots, but they're not making them from deep that really, they do a lot of their damage in the paint. Um, which it makes a lot of sense for a team that prides itself on defense, but the offensive numbers are good too, you know, scoring 75 points per game, but they're shooting 47% as a team, which I mean, that tells you that's a team who's certainly trying to get to the basket a lot on a lot of their yeah. attempts. So you're it's going to need a strength on strength situation there with the paint thing. For sure. You're going to need a big performance um, from Garrison Brooks, Cam Matthews, uh, JV and Davis. I need, you need him to step up more defensively. I mean, he, I think he's, He's progressed as the season has gone along, but especially these last few games, you see him get lost in transition at times. You see him just leaving the basket wide open with nobody free, just sort of getting mixed up on, you know, passing off assignments. You can't have that, especially with Tolu Smith out. So, you know, that it, it's, it's another a, good power forward this game too. So, yeah, it, it's a tough matchup for state, very tough place to play. I'm certainly not going to go in here anticipating a win, but if they can pull it off, that would go a long way for this team's tournament chances. Kind of the same thing. If you if you had be, if you win one of these games that we had this week, you had a chance at Kentucky, you couldn't do it. But this team's believing. If you win this game, you can just kind of, it kind of just cancels out the Ole Miss loss. And suddenly, if you look at if you were you just look at your resume without that game, 
uh, on the on it, and you're feeling pretty decent about your tournament chances. That's kind of what this does. I, that's not exactly how it works. I understand that the net doesn't. It's not just give or take, just like that. But puts you in a better position than you were certainly a week ago, uh, before you rattled off a couple good games. You did increase in the net against Kentucky, even though you lost, so that's good. But a really big chance to improve on your resume on Saturday. Well, if that's all we got for today, that'll do it. We will be back uh, to recap this game and preview the next one. I believe we have South Carolina at home on Tuesday night. Uh, that'll be a game we do expect to win. Really cannot afford to drop that one at all. So that, that takes on, you know, DEFCON 5 kind of red alert, not because – it's a tough game, but because if you lose it, you can kiss the tournament goodbye. It's a t- it is a tough game, though. We all know how those games in South Carolina go. That Frank Martin, his teams just play hard, they no do. matter how poor their record is. But yeah, you better win. They're one hundred eight in the net. You gotta win that one. Gotta win that one, especially at home. So we'll preview that one, and then briefly after that, won't be too long. We will have a full preview of Mississippi State baseball i'm sure all of you are looking forward to the national title defense as am i so i'm sure we can sit down together and preview that and everybody be can get excited uh i have big expectations i'm going full homer this year for baseball i i'm ready to repeat there's nothing in my mind that tells me we we aren't capable of it i even wrote an article about it today so check that out keep up with us on twitter for any changes to that schedule but we'll see y'all later As always, swing your sword and hail state. Hail state.